Hello, I'm Bruce Malcolm, and this is Denise Malcolm. We're proud to share with you this podcast series, Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Malcolm Foundation. Each episode will feature practical insights on how to teach your child safety in our world today. We will help parents and carers understand and navigate the challenging world of child sexual abuse. What child sexual abuse is, the behaviours and signs to be wary of, and how to respond if you are worried about this with children you know. Our host, Walkley Award-winning journalist Nance Haxon, will talk with survivors, parents, leading researchers and professionals working on the front line in this area to give you the tools and resources you need. It's time for difficult conversations on this hidden topic. This podcast talks openly about child abuse, child sexual abuse, child sexual exploitation and harmful sexual behaviours. We are aware the content raised in this podcast series may be triggering by some listeners. There are links in our show notes for organisations that can support you. Please feel free to take a breather when you need it. Today we're speaking with Marie Crabb, who is the co-founder and director of the Violence Prevention Initiative, It's Time We Talked. She's co-producer and co-director of the documentary films Love and Sex in an Age of Pornography, broadcast in 36 countries, and The Porn Factor, broadcast in Australia. She's also the author of In the Picture, a resource to support secondary schools to address the influence of explicit sexual imagery. Marie has worked with young people and on issues affecting young people for 30 years. She's developed and delivered programs focusing on sexual violence prevention, sexual diversity, pornography, sexting, and the prevention of sexually transmissible infections. Marie's contributions to public conversations about young people, sexuality and pornography include on television, radio and podcast interviews just like this. Marie, thank you for joining us today on Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Pleasure to be here. And thank you for doing the workshop today, of course, with the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. What struck me just by seeing some of your presentation today was how did we get here? How did pornography, is it just me or has it suddenly become so much more prevalent, so much more violent, so much more extreme? Uh, It's not just you. And I think part of how we got here is the internet And part of what that means is a couple of things. It's incredibly prevalent, I think more than people realize generally. So three of the top 15 most viewed websites in the world are porn sites. So that puts them under Google and Facebook, but above eBay, Amazon, Netflix, TikTok, LinkedIn, Reddit, like any number of really huge sites. And one of those sites regularly reports on its usage and they found that they had 42 billion visits in one year. So that's about six for every human being on the planet for one website. About 83% of all of the traffic is through a mobile device. So it's it's just incredible, kind of mind-boggling amounts of content that's out there. So it's become incredibly accessible, click of a button, young people see it. So the pervasiveness is one thing. And at the same time that it's grown so big and relatedly it has also shifted so it's you know they're competing in a marketplace with this plethora of content and part of what the industry told us in our interviews is that 
rough content is part of what sells. So the kind of material that young people are exposed to, mainstream, free online pornography, often depicts gendered aggression. You know, it's almost always, like 94, 95% of the time directed towards women. And um, it often has sexual violence themes, incest themes. So one study found, for example, that one in eight porn titles describe behaviour that constitutes sexual violence hidden camera, forced sex, someone's asleep or drunk, incest themes, etc. Another study found incest themes in 46% of videos. Just the kinds of narratives that I think many people would be surprised if they're not viewing porn themselves, that this is the sort of material that young people see on the home pages of the most popular porn sites. And that's kind of the point, isn't it? And I think it was made that the point was made by one of the fantastic student interviews that you showed today was basically anything that's illegal or really morally questionable is pretty much got its own tab as a content in pornography sites. I think part of what producers and directors look to do and actually the sites that manage the distribution of this content, who are really where a lot of the big money is these days, is they're looking to get and then maintain viewers' attention because that's how they make money, from advertising, from data collection and from funneling viewers into paid content. So what's going to keep people's attention? Content that is surprising, shocking, pushing the boundaries. And I think also there's something about the sort of desire and the appeal of the illicit. So, you know, porn pushes the limits or pushes taboos in areas like racist content, incest content, non-consent, childlike themes and, and sexual strangulation. They're some of the ways that we're seeing on top of just run-of-the-mill gendered aggression, which is very common as well. I think there's this sense of that that content grabs people's attention and and kind of keeps them there. And you mentioned today that teen is one of the most commonly referenced searches for porn titles. Yeah, this incredible study that took the titles from the porn that appeared on the home pages of the three top porn sites in the UK every hour on the hour for six months Uh, they had over 130,000 porn titles, found that teen was the most common word across all of those titles. So this emphasis on very young is a common theme in, in porn. And it's not just the word teen, but things like the clothing that people wear, the props or sort of childlike themes, and then pairing, say, a very young woman or a very young boy, you know, young man with a much older man to emphasize that sort of age differential them being told to act in ways where they appear shy or coy or needing instruction from the older character. So they're really emphasising the youthfulness, which I think pushes right up to the edges and perhaps tips it over into the illicit territory of sex with a minor. It sort of normalises that and suggests that it's that's sexy and acceptable. Yes, it's like this hardcore pornography has now become mainstream. It has become utterly mainstream, yep. And the implications of that for our children, which of course is the focus really of your work and also what we're talking about on this podcast, children don't have the cognitive, they don't have the ability yet to discern that that is actually not reality. They might even say that, oh, we know it's not reality, but Children are learning sex education from this pornography, aren't they? Yeah, porn has become 
a default sexuality educator for many young people. I think it's the most prominent and most accessible form of sexuality education for most young people. It can actually be very difficult to avoid. So an Australian study of 15 to 20-year-olds found that almost half, 48% of boys have seen pornography by the age of 13 and almost half of girls, the same figure, 48% have seen porn by the age of 15. And it's not just entertainment on the screen that's sort of divorced from people's lived realities. Of course, if you, particularly if you don't have counter-reference points, like you've got no other way of understanding sexuality. No one's talked with you about, about sexuality. And even if they had, it's not the same level of information, the sort of incredible explicitness of close-up shots of penetrative sexual interactions, of aggressive interactions between the performers on, on screen. So porn has become this means for gathering information Young people often can articulate that porn is not real, even though the sex is real, but they often go on to describe how their own sexual imaginations or expectations and experiences have been shaped by what they've seen in porn or what their partners or peers have seen in porn, because I think that's really important to understand as well, that it's not just children and young people who seek porn out and who watch porn themselves who are influenced by it. It's very difficult for, say, a heterosexual young woman to have, find a sexual partner who's not been shaped by it because it's much more commonly consumed by young men than young women. Uh, and if young men have had their sexual scripts shaped by porn, then they're often bringing that to their interactions with their female partners. But it's also true for lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans young people. They're seeing porn that's depicting some of these same messages about gendered aggression, about sexual availability, a lack of consent negotiation, you know, not safe sexual practices and a, a very significant focus on the pleasure of, you know, one character, the dominant character who's generally a, a male character and everybody else is serving that person's pleasure. So it's a pretty unsatisfactory model of sexuality and gender relations. It's also one that is, of course, reinforcing of the dynamics of sexual violence. So it makes coercive experiences, non-consensual experiences more likely for young people. So it's really shaping their expectations of what happens in the bedroom. It seems like intimacy and love and the things you'd hope that they were going to have for their first sexual encounters really aren't on the table. Well, at least safety, consent, respect and a chance of it feeling good for everybody. You know, I think the, the basics of sex being good are those things. They're there that you feel like that you have dignity that you're safe, that you can make choices about what's happening, that it actually might feel pleasurable, not just for someone else, but for you as well. And, you know, I think those really baseline measures of what makes good sex are just too frequently not what young people are experiencing. I think what I found shocking today too was realising that this is even having medical implications for conditions that, that younger and younger women are now having because of basic forced sex. Yeah, so our interviews with sexual medicine experts and pelvic floor physiotherapists, they describe this increase in young women having painful sexual conditions. It's not always because it's sex that's been forced on young women, although it is, it is that as well. But sometimes young women are consenting, 
but they're consenting in a in an environment in a context in which they don't have very good other options you know they feel the pressure to engage in things that they're not really enjoying and if you have sex that doesn't feel good for you then it has physiological as well as psychological implications and so you know women need to be aroused their body changes you know the the lubrication and the shape of a woman's body changes as she's aroused and if she's not aroused and she's having sex that's not feeling good for her then it can become a cycle where that's what sex is painful and then that there's the anticipation of it being painful and that can create you know a pattern where it becomes an ongoing condition which is you know where we're living in a time where I think a lot of people think that we've had this sort of sexual liberation movement and that sex and relationships should be good for people and it should be about everyone's pleasure but we're actually in some ways we've gone backwards. Is this fairly recent or that, that, that you've noticed that trend? I mean, I think it's been happening for a while, but mm. the specialists who we've interviewed describe mm. this being a, something that's emerged during the course of their, you know, decades of experience in this work. It's not what they were seeing 20 years ago, but it's increasingly prevalent now amongst young women in particular. What about what are the implications of this? I mean, you mentioned consent, but also for for other issues. I mean, like you say, gender equality, just for the health of relationships for our young people. I think they're really significant. I think, you know, if our models of relationships and sexuality are unequal, if what's being eroticised and normalised in porn and in young people's sexual relationships is that one party is subservient to the, the other person's pleasure, then there's an innate inequality in that concept. You know, it's like it's it's setting people up for relationships that ultimately aren't going to feel good for they already don't feel good for one party and that's um I think that's a recipe for well for loneliness for sexual coercion for sexual harm this sort of sense of entitlement that I think porn can instill in young men that sex is for them it's about them it's something they have a right to get and that when girls and women look like they or their partner of whatever gender looks like they don't really want to be doing that that's not really the case they're actually just playing that they don't want to get it actually they really want that you know that this is a common narrative in porn as well that no subsequently turns into a yes so it doesn't help young men get a model of sexuality that's about respect and mutuality and consent and I think that's bad for everyone but it's particularly bad for their partners it must be incredibly confusing because as you like even that no turning into yes that's been such a huge campaign really that I've noticed in the last couple of years but they're getting different messages from porn yeah I think you know there's a move in society more broadly for acknowledging that the models of masculinity that we've had that are about being dominant being controlling you know boys will be boys and you know being aggressive is fine where we recognize the harms for for boys and men as well as for women when those are the sort of models that are promoted so boys and young men are are getting the message in in school through respectful relationships education in their community, in their homes, that actually we want them to be healthy and whole and emotionally articulate and and caring human beings. But they are getting the message through porn and through a whole range of other media contexts and some other sort of parts of society 
sports media, action movies, video games, um, you know, a whole range of places, but also in too many young men's homes that what they need to be is tough, resilient, not be emotionally vulnerable, be in control, being dominant. And those are the ingredients for sexual harm. I think what I'd like to do now is to play some of the the wonderful interviews. You've got such an incredible body of work, this research you've done, and just hearing children, essentially, and young people actually explaining how, how the impact this has on their lives and just can easily recite the tropes that, that are familiar to them of what happens in porn. I'll, I'll play a few of those and uh, just give our adults and carers a, a bit of an insight into what children think and know about porn like in my brain I was like I don't know what this is there was nothing that could have prevented me from seeing that after that one click there was no pop-up that was saying are you 18 nothing to check whether or not I'm someone that should be viewing this video I couldn't get it out of my head and I was upset for a while and um yeah I remember it leaving quite a I was quite distressed by it that kind of definitely I'd say affected the way that I viewed porn and sex um for many years after that, that wasn't a very nice way to be introduced to sex. I didn't really speak to anyone about it because I felt really embarrassed that I had seen it. I knew that I couldn't talk about it with like somebody else. From like the age of 10 to like 16, it was kind of like this secret that I had. It was very much something that like, if girls were consuming it in my circle, no one spoke about it. I thought it was a normal thing. I thought everyone watches porn. With boys, it might have been more i guess accepted for boys to look at that sort of thing and to talk about that sort of thing and it's kind of almost expected that boys are looking at that sort of thing as you get older and you're navigating sexual relationships for the first time there's not a guide and so you turn to your friends or you turn to pornography you turn to what's on social media most people most men especially but also a lot of women their first sexual experience is watching porn how do you do that move and how do you get yourself into that position and that person looks like they're really enjoying that so maybe that's something that i should try and do porn actually gives you the visual and practical steps of sex i definitely do think that porn is impacting the way young people anticipate sex i you know probably learned a lot about sex from the porn that i was watching from when i was i think probably 12 or 13 years old and had to unlearn a lot of that stuff later on there's a sense of like you have to know what you're doing immediately when it comes to having sex. And if it's not watching porn, it's probably having sex with someone who has watched porn. Even if you yourself are not learning directly from porn, everyone around you is. When I was at high school, practically all the guys watched porn, but I knew very little of girls that watched it. So if young kids are having sex for the first time, the girl doesn't know really what she likes, what she wants to do, doesn't really know what sex looks like. The guy has this image of what sex is from porn. So I think I'm just struck by how astute they are in analysing these issues as absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is amazing listening to the young people. I think it brings a, a, a depth to us being able to understand their experiences, to listen to them describing it. And I'm also struck repeatedly by how 
their capacity to analyze pornography and its influence doesn't necessarily mean that they're free from its influence. So young people often when they're talking with me are reflecting back on their experiences over several years and you know they've had an opportunity to do that reflecting they're perhaps impacted in different ways or hopefully to a lesser degree as they get older but often they've had years of experiences that have been significantly influenced by porn and they feel some grief about that you know they wish that their sexuality hadn't been shaped in those ways. Yes, I think one of your interviewees talked about having to relearn sex, basically. Yes, multiple interviewees have talked about Mm. that, talked about how they've sort of absorbed a sexual script of, you know, different, different young people reflect on different things, but things like associating violence with sexual arousal and wishing that they hadn't experienced that association. And I think every time I hear it, I wish you hadn't experienced that association too. And this really does reflect that growing concern internationally that pornography is is really contributing to these conditions of sexual assault. It's just become a violence prevention issue that we can't really afford to ignore. I think it has, yes. And, you know, some of the ways that pornography is contributing to those conditions is through young people's regular exposure to content that clearly depicts, normalises and eroticises sexual aggression. And our societal struggles with being able to talk about this stuff. So young people are navigating porn largely often alone. Uh, Research with young people finds that most young people have never spoken to a parent or carer about their exposure to pornography and among those who had it mostly wasn't because it was initiated by the young person it was often initiated either by the parent and carer or or through an incident where you know it became obvious that they had seen porn and they needed to have that sort of conversation so i think young people potentially are you know are often spending years consuming or being exposed to either frequently or every now and then this material before they have had their own partnered sexual experiences and before they've spoken to any adult um, about about what they're seeing. The Australian study with 15 to 20 year olds by Our Watch found that over half of young men, 56%, are using pornography weekly or more often with one in six reporting daily consumption. For young women, those figures were 15% use it weekly and 1% use it daily. So, and on average, young men are seeing pornography three years before their first sexual experience and young women are seeing it two years before their first sexual experience. So that is a lot of opportunity for porn to be shaping sexual understandings and expectations without those counter-reference points that you might get from your own experiences of sexuality of course if your own sexual experiences reflect the porn script you're not getting very good counter reference points either so this really is something that parents and carers and and parent people in children's lives who may not be parents or carers this is something we all have to be aware of we can't put our head in the sand about this anymore and pretend that this isn't really influencing our society i think to fail to address pornography as an influence in young people's lives is to leave their sexuality education up to the porn industry. And 
that's not going to end well for anyone, for individual young people or for society because the porn industry could not care less about young people's sexual well-being or relational or emotional well-being. It's a big money business. It is a big money business. That's what they're there for. They've been incredibly tardy and unresponsive when there's non-consensual content uploaded to their sites and victim survivors have pleaded with them to take that content down they are slow and unresponsive because ultimately they don't really care it is a profit driven industry the vast majority of it i know people want to talk about better porn but actually what most young people are seeing is mainstream free online porn and there's not clear evidence that some other types of porn that calls itself better is actually much better anyway it still often has high levels of aggression for example so yes, that the risk of us not tackling it is that we leave young people alone and young people do talk often about feeling like they can't talk to people about porn, that they feel ashamed or they feel embarrassed or they feel like they're going to be punished, you know, that they'll have their devices removed from them or um, that it was just too taboo to go there. And as a result... They, they describe your feeling a loneliness of, of needing to kind of carry that secret on their own, which is just not what we want as parents and carers. You know, we want our children to be feeling like they can come to us with anything that's worrying them. And it's worth noting, I think, people often assume that if young people are seeking porn out, that they therefore want to watch it. Or, but it's important to recognise that about half of young people were not seeking porn out the first time they saw it. They often see it unintentionally. And even if they're watching it often, it doesn't mean they necessarily feel good about that. So they might be drawn to it because it's fascinating, but also feel quite distressed and disturbed and upset by it. And they need our support, but they can't get that if they don't feel like they can talk with us about it. So before we really look at what parents and carers can do in this space, I just it does come back to regulation too, doesn't it? I, I mean, I feel like the horse has bolted. Is it too late for governments, for regulators to look at this and what can be done? I don't think it's too late. I think actually we're, there's only just now a growing appetite in the democratic world um, for a, some form of regulation. It's like the porn industry has had free reign online, as have social media companies and others. There's been so little, if any, responsibility for the content that they've broadcast effectively. Radio stations, magazines, television stations never get that sort of lack of accountability for the content that they that they put up. Um, but the porn industry and some other companies have, you know, have taken the position that they are just the conduit and they take no responsibility for what's up there. And I think, you know, I think that there's now an appetite for some forms of regulation, particularly for age verification, uh, where people wanting to use adult content, as it's often referred to, um, need to verify through some often through some sort of third party that they are indeed adults and that they should be able to access it so i think that that is that is something that we'll be able to watch what's happening in the coming years and i think that's an appropriate response it's not without its challenges of privacy and security clearly but the current reality where anybody can access content that is often violent degrading racist homophobic you know 
that's not okay for children and young people to be exposed to that. But I'm glad you raised the question about regulation because I think it's really unfair for parents and carers to be left responsible to manage the influence of a multi-billion dollar global industry that beams their content into the devices that our children and us carry in our pockets. You know, it's it's really, and people in the industry will often say this is parents' responsibility, but that is so unfair, I think. And this is why we're so lucky to have your insights too, Marie, because you've written uh, specific material for parents as well and been able to use some of these insights that you've gained from, from your research and from the young people that you've interviewed. What are some of the things that uh, that we can do, that we can proactively do to rein this in a little bit? So I think some of the things that parents and carers can do is to learn about the issues mm. and um, ready themselves to kind of have the conversations with young people. I think there are four broad things we can do. We can try to prevent and limit children and young people's exposure and access. And I think that's one important component in our toolkit, but it's never going to be enough. So parental controls on the computer or the phone. Yep, filters on devices, Mm. um, supervised access, not having them in bedrooms and bathrooms, Mm. uh, putting them down for some periods of time, you know, like they're not an extension of our limbs. But, you know, I think that, we also need to be realistic so we can't that although we can't stop young people's exposure altogether particularly not a young person who's determined to see it we probably can stop a lot of unintentional exposure and we probably can prevent a lot of extended exposure so there's a big difference between having seen it and watching five hours you know, a night. And which is affecting your neural pathways and what you you are seeking out in, in, in the real life as well. So that's well and truly worth doing. So that's mm. one thing. The second thing is that I think we need to encourage and equip young people to critique what they see in porn, to help them develop critical media literacy, which we might start when they're really young using children's media, you know, advertising for soft drink, where we support them to think critically about what that ad says about youthfulness or you know age and gender and ethnicity and sexual orientation and ability and disability by the absence or the presence of certain things in that imagery and then as they get a bit older we can support them to think critically about more sexualized media like music videos and ads and then as they get older again we can have overt conversations with them about porn so we're not starting from scratch we're actually working with them to develop those competencies those skills of critiquing and then helping them apply them to porn The third thing is I think we can help young people to develop the skills they need to resist pornography's influence. So they might be good at critiquing it and they might even decide they don't want to watch it. But how do they respond to peer group pressure to watch it or pressure from an intimate partner to mimic something they've seen in porn that they don't want to do or pressure from someone to create sexual imagery of themselves and share it, which is something that Mm. particularly when it's someone that the child doesn't know, it's vulnerable anyway. That's extortion. But yes, it's it's possible. It's, you know, it's it's unfortunately quite common for people, for young people and children to be extorted um, by people offshore to create sexual images and then... um, give them money to to prevent them from sharing it. So those sort of skills I think are really important. And talking through who your real friends are really essentially, is that what that comes down to? Yeah, some of that mm. and also like how you get help when you need mm. it, that you that you, that you, you have can... been tricked or made a mistake. Or... 
or it's not too late <laughs> no no that's it it's, yeah. yep it's always better to talk with someone about that happening mm. it, rather than to be so fearful about what the consequences might be they'll get worse the consequences will get worse if you don't have those conversations but that third point then is the the skill development and the fourth one is about inspiring young people for better ways of thinking about relationships and sexuality so we can help them catch a vision for a model of relationships and sexuality that is about respect communication consent pleasure and basically that it feels good for everybody emotionally physically in all in all different ways so I think those are the broad things that parents and carers and others can do to support young people to navigate this and often what that looks like is conversations it's you some know, good philosophical conversations about what a relationship is and what that means yeah, and I think when we have the conversations that it's it can be sometimes they can be a bit scary for us, you know, like Absolutely, it's pretty confronting, isn't it? <laughs> that we might feel uncomfortable and we should acknowledge that our children might feel uncomfortable as well. <laughs> and so but trying to bring to that conversation a tone and an approach that reflects what we're really there for. So to be to be calm, to be kind of thinking through what is it that I want? Well, I would say as a parent that what I want for my children and the reason to be having these kind of conversations is I want their experiences of relationships and sexuality to be good for them and for whomever they share them with now and in the future. And the reason to talk about porn is because it can be a hurdle for that. It can be it can get in the way of their experiences of that. So, you know, we we might feel nervous, we might feel angry we might feel you know all sorts of things like upset distressed but I think part of what we want to try to do is to set some of that aside and think that we want to be there for our kids on this issue and we want to be there in a way that helps open up the conversation helps them feel easy to talk with us about it helps them feel like this is not about blame or shame it's actually normal and healthy to be curious about sexuality to be you know interested in bodies and we don't want to inadvertently communicate to our children that there's something wrong with them because they've watched porn or because they're curious about sex we want to affirm that sex is good and that curiosity is good but at the same time help them understand that what they're likely to see in porn is not good and it's not likely to support them to have healthy respectful experiences of sex and no one should treat them like what they see in porn either Oh, that's really helpful. I think, can, can we even restate those four again just so that, so that our parents and carers amongst us can really know that there are some things that we can control that narrative? So we want to prevent or limit young people's exposure in the ways that we can. We want to equip and encourage young people to critique what they see in porn because they are very likely to be exposed, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. We want to support them to develop the skills they need to resist pornography's influence or to make good decisions about porn and, and you know, whether they see it and whether they reenact it, whether they create it. And we need to inspire them that relationships and sex can be better. And part of what that means is modelling just and respectful gender relations ourselves so they see respect um, in the relationships around them, in their families, their broader communities, um, but also having those conversations about relationships and sex. 
So your uh, focus at the moment is doing these workshops as well that people can hopefully uh, get access to or can they go to your website as well? We'll put that in the show notes if they want to even look at some of the written resources that you have for parents. Yeah, so we've developed a whole range of resources for young people, for parents and carers, for schools and community organisations. So we have a series of parent tip sheets that people can download for free from itstimewetalk.com. Um, we also have, um, I do a lot of parent and care presentations in different places, in schools and in community settings. And we have a pre-recorded version of that that parents can rent or that schools and community organisations can buy and make available to their parent community. Um, yeah, and we deliver professional learning for a wide range of sectors. It's really about trying to build our understanding as a community, knowing that it's going to take all of us. This is not something just for parents and carers. It's not just something young people can tackle. It's not something just schools can tackle or just politicians. We actually need all of these different stakeholders to be playing their roles and working together in a coherent way, in a child-centred and youth-centred sort of way where we, where our aim is to support them to tackle this issue together. I think that's that's kind of the only way that we're re- really going to make a dent on the influence of this very kind of powerful and pervasive industry. All of society taking responsibility for the impact that porn is having on young people's lives. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some parts of society that ought to take more responsibility than others, but they're probably not going to step up and take much responsibility. So Unless um, the others come and demand it to a degree, I suppose. That's it. So uh, where, we're at, where we're at at the moment is that um, we really don't have any other good alternative than for young people, parents, carers, schools, community organisations and government to work together well to... Um, have good conversations, restrict young people's access, support better ways of thinking about sex. Wonderful. Marie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's the end of this episode of Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Make sure you go to the links in our show notes for resources and support. Remember, parents and carers, you've got this. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast provider and give us a like on your socials. And if you found this helpful, please share far and wide and rate and review it too so more people can find us. Even if it's just telling a friend about this podcast, that's great. We want to empower as many parents and carers as possible each and every episode. You can support the work of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation by visiting our website and donating or call us for more information on 1300 326 435. Thank you for never forgetting, Daniel. You guys are very much part of the solution. Please complete the survey. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again next episode.